hand something you can pick up at the info booth. Uh, it's our the notes for our Getting Connected course that we encourage all new believers and all new members to go through. At this point, you can go through it by, how is it when you're... Uh, when you don't have to go to class, but you take it by correspondence course. This is a correspondence course. You can go online on cotrnorth.com and download these notes and listen. Uh, you can pick these notes up or download them and listen to the four classes uh, that we encourage all of our new, new believers and new uh, uh, members to go through. So please consider starting that strong. There are about four one-hour classes you can just go by and pick them up, and there's some things to fill out, good information, a great foundation for your faith uh, to build upon in 2012. And so I encourage you to do that. Also, last Sunday on January 1, I shared some things that from a pastoral perspective, I want to encourage everyone to consider as you move into this new year. And we're already one full week into the new year. And here they are. I, I just want to rehearse them again for you in case you weren't here last Sunday. The first one is... All's well that begins well. Everyone say, all's well that begins well. I want to encourage you to begin your year strong, not just from a, you know, a personal standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. I want to encourage you, and that's what the Daniel fast is all about. For many of you, where you may be going through the Daniel fast with us, and, and I've been emailing information and, uh, uh, to you. And so we began last Sunday, but you could begin this Sunday, in fact, Probably the large majority of Christians in America that are going through the Daniel fast, and there will be a considerable number of churches. I know just there just be thousands and thousands and thousands of people in America and around the world going through the Daniel fast. And I don't have time to explain it all to you, but they're beginning today, actually. So, and you'll finish on the last Sunday of the month. And so, uh, I want to encourage you to start your year strong and start it well because uh, how many of you know God's a God of first fruits? And he wants us to give the first of everything that we have to him. And in fact, Jesus was God's only son, his firstborn son. God gave him up as a sacrifice. And so he's a God of first fruits. He's, he modeled it for us and he desires it for us. And I, I promise you, if you'll really tune in to the word of God and tune in to the Jesus this, this month, start your year strong. Everyone say, all's well that begins well. It's really true. The second thing that uh, we talked about just for a moment that I want to encourage you in is, is spend some time in the next few days with some proactive thinking, pondering, meditating. Don't just be a reactive thinker about your future. Most people spend all their thought life and all the power of their thoughts just reacting to life. How many of you know God doesn't want us just to be a reactionary? He wants to be us to be proactive and, and fulfilling God's purpose and plan for our life. If we're reactionary thinkers, all we're doing is, is yielding to the circumstances around us and spending all our time, energy, and effort just reacting to external circumstances. So everyone say proactive thinking. The third thing that I want to encourage you to do is think of three things and maybe write them down, build a list in your life that you look at your life and say, what three things, two or three things that in my life do I really want to change in 2012? Uh, look around at your neighbor and just be honest with them. Say, hey, I love you, but some things in your life need to change. I love you, but some things in your life need to change. They know it and you probably know it already, but how many of you know change only happens on purpose? 
you know, and so I want to encourage you to look at your life and say, what are some things in my life that I want to change? And began to put together a plan and a program to accomplish those changes. You know, when some people look at their life, they look at their life and, and they have areas of their life, a weakness or whatever. They just say, well, it's just the way I am. How many of you know the way you is may not be the way you should be, right? Come on now. Just because that's the way you are doesn't mean it's right. Hello. And so let's, let's, let's activate some change. And then the fourth thing, uh, develop a list, look at your life and look at the world around you and think of two or three things that God would have you do in 2012, not to just change in your life, but to instigate change in the world around you, to be a difference maker in the world. God wants us to make a big difference, not just a den. He wants us to make a difference. So I want to encourage you. Kelly looked at Agua Resources and he said, I want to do what I can to make a difference with people and bring fresh water to the needy people of Mexico and even around the world. So there's some things, all's well that begins well, proactive thinking, a list of some things you need to change in your life and then begin to instigate whatever's necessary to make those changes. And then look at your life and the world around you. What are some things that I can do to make a difference in the world around me and make some changes in the world around me? I encourage you to do that in 2012. Don't just let 2012 be just a reactionary life. Make a difference, amen? Everybody say, I'm gonna make a difference in 2012. Amen. I encourage you in that. Now, turn in your Bible to Romans chapter four. We're going to continue talking about strengthening your spiritual grip. And uh, let me just kind of go back through some of the things we talked about last Sunday because uh, many of you weren't able to be here. And I just want to let you know that from a pastoral perspective, God laid this thought on my heart a number of months ago about this year and about this month, beginning this year, talking to you about strengthening your spiritual grip. Because listen carefully, we're going to need a strong grip on God and his word and will for our life in the days before us. And, and, and even as days move on and on, and how many of you know we're actually living from a prophetic standpoint in the last days? And so we need a strong grip on God. And I shared with you a number of passages of scripture last Sunday that I won't rehearse for you. But what we learned is all the way through scripture, God has instructed his people to get a firm hold on him and his will and plan for their life. In fact, Paul the Apostle said his prayer in Philippians 3 was that his desire was to, I want to get a hold of God like he's got a hold of me. And I think that ought to be the the heartbeat of our life in 2012. But the verse that just leaps off the page for me is Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. It's it's uh, it's from the letter uh, that... Uh, of Jesus to the churches in the, in Revelations 1, 2, and 3. And, and this church that he's writing to in, in Revelations 3, 11 is to the faithful church. And this is what the verse says, and it's in the message. I love how the message, message is a paraphrase, but I love what it says here. And it says this, Jesus said, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. Let's throw it up on the screen and I want you to read it with me today. He said, I'm on my way. Everyone, how many of you know Jesus is on his way? And in fact, whether we understand it or not, guess what? He'll be here soon. How many of you know time is not uh, uh, in our hands, it's in the hands of God. And so uh, here we go. Help me, is it stuck? It's stuck. Okay, I'll just keep preaching. How many of you know Jesus didn't have much concern about PowerPoint? Okay, I had a feeling it was stuck. (laughs) I'm on my way. Everyone say, I'm on my way. 
I'll be there soon. Then he said, keep a tight grip on what you have so that no one distracts you and steals your crown. You see, we live in a world that wants to undermine God's destiny for our life and to steal what God has for us. And how many of you know heaven has reward? Did you know everything you do on planet earth affects you for all eternity? It's really true. And so uh, there are influences in the world. And I shared some influences last week about that try to undermine God's purpose and plan for us and steal God's best for our life. And so the, Jesus told the faithful church, keep a tight grip on what you have. And so that's the theme of this series, getting a real grip on what God has for you. And last Sunday, what we talked about was the fact in order to get a real grip on God, there may be some things that we need to let go of or shake loose from. You see, if you're hanging on to one thing, it's hard to get a hold of another thing. And so I, I ask you to think this thought and to ask yourself this question, what am I holding on to and what has a hold on me? What am I holding on to and what has a hold on me? And so you have to ask yourself those questions and say, you know, are there some things in my life that I need to let go of? In fact, last Sunday, we talked about that, some things to let go of, the the wrong thing, the my thing, the same thing, uh, or the old thing. Just let go of some things. Everyone say, some things you got to let go of. You just really do. You got to let go of them in order for God's purpose and plan to be made uh, uh, real in your life so you can take a hold of what he has for you and to hold and get a tight grip on it. This morning, what I want to talk to you about, and the theme seems to have been that throughout this service already, I want to talk to you about taking a, getting a tight grip on your faith. Getting a tight grip on your faith. You see, God has a plan for our life, but we have to believe and trust him in the process, right? And we're going to look at Abraham, the father of our faith. And if you've turned to Romans 4 and 5, you're in the right spot. Let me just show you the keynote verse this morning from Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Let's read it together. Everyone, uh, look at your screen here. Let's read together. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God. Let's read it aloud together one more time. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And you know the story of Abraham, and you know that God required a lot from him. He, he had a promise from God. He didn't waver at the promise of God. What was the promise? The promise was that God was going to cause his seed to multiply and fill the earth and, and influence the whole world and, and influence future, present, and all those phenomenal things. And the Bible said he didn't waver at the promise of God, even though his wife, Sarah, was barren. And you know the story, long story short, God did a miracle and Isaac was born. But what did God require of, of, of Abraham with Isaac? He said, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. The story's in Genesis 22. Now, you just think about this. This doesn't make sense uh, uh, for God to say, hey, I'm going to use Isaac and your seed's going to fill the earth. And, and, but I want you to take him up on the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. Well, Abraham was absolutely obedient to that. And he took him up on the mountain. Genesis 22, you read the story. And he's about to, as he's about to uh, slay 
his son under the directive of God, the angel of the Lord stopped him and says, no, I see now that you're willing to do whatever it takes. I see now that you trust me and you fear me in all things. And God provided a, a, a lamb or a, or a ram in the bush and, and, uh, and in, in Isaac's mind or in Abraham's mind, hey, shifted the story. And so uh, he looked at Abraham and said, man, this is a man who trusts me and who believes me. And so he's a man of faith. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter four and five that he's the father of our faith. And though I can't read it all, let me show you Romans chapter one, verse one and two, or the first four verses, it says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. And so now look over in verse 13. Let's just read. I want to read from verse 13 through 25 about Abraham. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of what? Faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. For as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, speaking of Abraham, in the presence of him who, whom he, he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, speaking of Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver, here it is, at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. Everyone say fully convinced. That what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Everyone say, also for us. Also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who delivered, uh, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. And there's more there that I could read. And there's a lot there. Just what I want you to see there is that Abraham was the father of our faith and that he believed God and he trusted God and he did not waver. Everyone say he did not waver. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Now that's a big, that's a mouthful right there. And that's where God is trying to bring us. But what, what did he do? He was strengthened in faith. You see, in 2012, you and I need to strengthen our faith where we are able to stand in a place in life, regardless of the circumstances, and trust him through the process. How many of you know life is a process? And so we've got to have faith and we've got to strengthen our faith and get a firm grip on our faith. Now, let me give you a few faith facts this morning just to kind of help you understand this. Number one, faith is a gift. You don't earn faith. 
You don't get it as a reward. It is just a gift. You don't do this and God gives you this. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace, you are saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Everyone say faith is a gift. God gives us faith. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans 12, 3, that God has allotted to everyone a measure of faith. Everyone say, I have faith. And that's a gift. In other words, you don't earn it. You can't, you can't be good enough to get it. You have it because God gives it to you. How many of you thank God for the gift of faith? So you need to embrace that as we talk about strengthening your faith and, and getting a firm grip on your faith. Uh, you don't need to work towards it. You've got it. Everyone say, I've got it. You've got it. And let me just say, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. Faith is like a spiritual muscle. When you trust God, it just grows. In fact, how many of you know, most of the time, the circumstances of our life are not here to torment us, but to test us and to make us. And how many of you know, faith is not for the good times, it's for the uncertain question marks of life. And so that's what we saw about Abraham. You know, when when things didn't make sense, he trusted God. You see, when things don't make sense, you still got to trust him. And so faith is a gift. And here's the second thing, and this is a big faith fact that I want you to get a hold of. Faith provides access. Faith is like a key that unlocks the blessings of God and the ministry of God in our life. And in fact, Hebrews uh, 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith is a key that opens up and releases God's blessings and ministry in and through our life. And, you know, I think of the Reformation and Martin Luther, how he realized he came to the revelation through reading Romans and Galatians and other uh, New Testament books that, hey, the just shall live by faith and faith provides access everyone say faith is a gift and everyone say faith provides access let me show you this in Ephesians chapter 3 very quickly let me just read this verse for you Uh, Ephesians 3 verse 12 uh, shows that there is a key it's like a key it says in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him We have access to God by way of our faith. Did you get it? Everyone say key provides access. Pardon me, I said that that wrong. Everyone say faith provides access. That wouldn't make for good TV, would it? Faith provides access. He says, through in him we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Turn back to Romans chapter five there in verse one and two. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we'll talk about that in a moment, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have what? Somebody say access. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So you get these two important keys as you, as I'm going to, I'm about to tell you some things and follow the footsteps of Abraham to help you strengthen your spiritual grip on your faith. Understand it's a gift. God's given it to me and he wants it to grow. Everyone, how many of you know God wants our faith to grow? 
Amen. He looked at some of his disciples. He says, your faith is weak. Where is your faith? As we talked about earlier, I don't even see it. Come out, come out wherever you are. God has given us faith. And you know, if he's given us a gift, he wants it to us to operate in that gift. And then number two, faith provides access. Now, let me just share quickly with you some things that faith unlocks in your life. Just quickly, faith provides access, number one, as we saw, to the grace of God in our life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith. In other words, faith unlocks the grace of God in our life. What's the grace of God? Most people call it unmerited, unearned favor. I love that. How many of you like being favored when you don't deserve it? In fact, most of us never have experienced that other than from God. Your bosses don't give you raises when you don't deserve them. Your parents don't bless you and give you special blessings above the norm if you've been bad or if you've been un, un, you know, un, uh, uh, holy in your life. Uh, we don't normally reward those kind of things, but God's unmerited favor, something we can't earn, his blessing, his grace upon our life. Faith unlocks that in our life to where we can experience for by grace, you are saved through faith. The second thing in that verse, we see that it unlocks in our life is salvation for by grace, you are saved. But how did that happen? Through faith. Let me just, let me just clear something up for you. You didn't get saved by being sorry for your sin. You don't get saved by walking an aisle and weeping before God. Now, you can walk before God and weep, but I'm telling you, it doesn't require a tear to get saved. It requires faith in the finished work of Christ. And understand something, when you have faith in him, you'll be sorry for your sin. You'll repent. But hey, listen, what, what, did, what did Paul say in Romans 10? He said, let me tell you how to get saved. You got you to gotta believe that he was born lived, died, and rose again. It's through faith that you are saved. Faith provides access into, our, into the grace of God for our life and the salvation of God in our life. And then number three, as we learned already, we'll repeat it. Faith provides access to justification. In fact, that's, the, that's a big word. Everyone say justification justified means this. It means declared righteous. Now, when you think about that word and you look at the scripture, you realize none of us are, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, but through faith, we are justified. Look what it says in Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by what? Faith. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. How many of you know that's a pretty clean slate? We've been justified by faith, not by not smoking, chewing, going with the girls that do. Not by trying to just, you know, not do this and not do that. It's through faith in the finished work of Christ. Everyone says it's by faith. As you see, faith is unlocking some things. That's why it's so important, 2012, to strengthen your grip on the faith of God. Because understand, God wants to unlock some things in your life. How many of you need more of his grace in your life? The second or the fourth thing that I see here in scripture that, that faith unlocks and we provides access to is the peace of God in our life. Romans 5, 1, uh, again, therefore having been justified by faith, what happens? We have peace with God. How many of you know when you just trust somebody, it produces peace in your life? Some of the most unpeaceful people on planet earth are people that have no faith. And if you're a worrywart, 
you're not walking in faith. Some of you are professional worriers. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And, I, and we talked about this Wednesday night. When, in fact, Wednesday night, we talked about getting a grip on your thoughts. And I gave you a whole bunch of information that you probably need to go back and listen to the, to the recording again and get on iTunes or whatever and listen to it again. But one of the, one of the power thoughts and faith, but biblical uh, foundations of faith we learned in Philippians was that worry is never a viable option. Don't worry about anything. Uh, and the, some of the most unpeaceful people on planet earth are people who don't trust God. It produces peace in our life. It unlocks the peace of God in our life. Uh, some people, you know, they, got, they wear alligator shoes, but they, they have a hard time walking in the peace of God. They sleep in a king, you know, lay down in a king-sized bed, but they can't sleep. Why? Because they don't have the, the, the faith of God in their life. And so faith produces peace. And then and from a number, number of passages, we learn that faith produces and unlocks the healing of God in our life. We talked about, we sang that song today. I believe you're my healer. How many of you know he is our healer? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that was needed to obtain our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And Luke 8 tells about a little woman with an issue of blood who said, I know if I can just get close enough to touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. I'm telling you, Faith releases healing in your life, body, soul, and spirit. It provides access. Faith provides access to your total victory in life. For the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith accesses the capacity to walk in victory over sin, Satan, and self. Amen. That's why it's so important for us as we look to the future to strengthen our spiritual grip and just say, I'm going to trust God in 2012. I'm going to believe him, not just to survive, but to thrive. Whoo. Amen. You don't see anything here about faith just unlocking the door to survival. We're talking about faith releases the supernatural, provides his unmerited favor and salvation into eternity and being justified just as if I'd never sinned and inner peace and healing and total victory. Wow. I got to have me some of that. Amen. And so it's so important to get a grip upon the, the faith of God and to walk in the footsteps of Abraham. I love what verse 12 says in Romans 4. It says this about, uh, it says that we are to, to walk in the same steps of the faith that Abraham walked in. So as Abraham lived, we ought to live. We ought to walk in his footsteps. So you want to learn a few lessons from Abraham? Some, some faith building, uh, faith strengthening techniques that I see in this passage uh, from Abraham. You want to give me, I'll just give you a few and it's not rocket science, but I'll just bring them to you. Let's learn from Abraham for just a little bit. Let's learn from the father of our faith because it says we ought to walk in the steps of faith that he walked in. So here we go. Learning from Abraham. The first thing that I see today that you and I ought to embrace in our life, if we want to strengthen and get a greater grip on our faith and be able to, like Abraham says of him, he did not waver at the promise promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. The first thing that we ought to understand is that God has promises. And number one, we ought to stand on those promises. 
stand on the promises of God. He says he did not waver at the promise of God. Now, I'm just telling you, that is power packed. I'm not wavering from the promise of God. Everyone say, I'm not going to waver. Most of us, if the truth were known, we're, we're professional waverers. He, not, maybe not outside, but inside. Well, maybe so, maybe not. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But Abraham said, no, I am not wavering at the promise of God. He stood upon the promises of God. In the middle to late 1800s, there was a young man by the name of, let me get his name right. Here it is. His name was Russell Kelso. Russell Kelso was a very athletic young man, but he was also a spiritual young man. But he's also a very smart young man man. Uh, he was just kind of a, one of those guys that you just, man, everything about him. He was a songwriter. He was an athlete. Uh, and he got his life right with God and began to seek after God. But in his early thirties, uh, around 30, he developed a real heart problem and he thought he trusted God until his life flashed before him. He realized, uh, I, the doctor said, there's not much hope for you. Uh, you know, they didn't have all the special, uh, specialists that we have today back in the middle, middle to late 1800s. And so he, it put him uh, uh, on a test of faith, if you will. And he began to seek God. And he said, he began to cry out to God. And he said, Lord, I'm just going to have to trust you because the doctors have given up hope on me. Now, this is a little 30-year-old guy that has, you know, you just have days, weeks, months to live. And in the, in the quietness of his moment, when he steeled himself before God, he began to attain to some real revelation in his life. And he took out his pen and he began to write these words, standing on the promises of Christ, my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. He wrote that when he was dying of heart problems. The next verse, standing on the promises that that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I now can see perfect present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the spirit sword. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. That young man penned those, the, this now historic and I was playing it on the internet this, this morning and, and a little piano playing and Beverly peeked in and said, just making sure mama wasn't here playing the piano because she plays that. And it was born out of a young man's travail before God and his, his decision that I'm going to stand on the promises of God. And the end of his story was that he lived another 45 years completely healed of his problem. Wow. 
If you want to follow in the footsteps of Abraham as well as in the footsteps of Russell Kelso, you and I have to embrace the promise of God in our life. And you say, well, what are the promises? Well, someone told me once that in the, in the book, there's at least 365 major promises that you and I can embrace in our life, one for every day of the year. There's promise after promise after promise. We've got to stand on the promise. And the Bible says that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God. 1 Corinthians chapter, pardon me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says basically, verse 20, it says, God gives a promise. Jesus says, amen. Uh, uh, pardon me. God gives a promise. We say yes, and Jesus will say amen. I love that. We embrace God's promise, and we say yes. And Jesus looks upon us and says, so be it in your life. That's what amen means. That's how you get a hold of the promises of God. God said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to, I'm going to say yes to it in my life. I mean, that's what uh, Russell Kelso did about the healing power of God in his life. That's what Abraham did about uh, uh, Isaac and offering him up. I'm just going to trust the promises. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, when it talks about Abraham, the father of our faith, that Abraham said, well, if I slay him, I know God has the power to raise him up and he's going to raise him from the dead. He stood on the promises. Everyone say, stand on the promises. The second thing is trust God's ability. Look what it says in verse 21 of Romans 4. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Everyone say, God is able. You got to trust his ability to get you through this. You see, we look at the world through a finite understanding, but you got to trust the capacity of God and the ability of God and the, and the name of God and all his ministry. In fact, Paul said this in Ephesians chapter three, it says, guess he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. You see, if you want to follow the footsteps of Abraham and, and walk and strengthen your faith and not waver at the promises of God, you got to take your stand on the promises of God. And just say, I trust God in this circumstance. I trust his ability. He can do whatever he wants. He is a big God and he is not restrained by the, the, by the finite circumstances of my life. You got to trust God's ability. That's what the song we sang a few moments ago. We, we, I trust in him. I believe you're my healer. Amen. The third thing that I see Abraham walked in that we need to follow in his footsteps, and, and th- that is this. We've got to take care of what we consider. Take care of what we consider. Look in verse 18 and 19. It says, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Basically, when it looked hopeless, he had hope. He didn't look at the hopeless circumstances of his life. He looked at God and he hoped is in the Lord. He put his hope in God in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. You see, he didn't live life on what he saw with his natural eyes. He lived his life on what God had spoken to him. This is where I stand. The promise of God. This is what God has spoken it. I believe it and that settles it. Amen. I'm saying yes to it. God's going to say, uh, Jesus is going to say amen. I've got a hold of it today. I'm not considering what I see with my natural eye or what I know with my mind. I'm not going to be weak in faith. Look in verse 19. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. He just didn't look at at the circumstances of life and go, well, uh, God must have messed up with his promise because it makes no sense because I'm an old man and bless Sarah's heart. She's no spring chicken either. 
He didn't consider those things. Most Listen, most of us, when, we, when we're faced with the, with the raw circumstances of life, all we do is consider what we see with our natural eye or what we feel in our, in our, in our emotional moment. And in 2012, if you're going to, you and I are going to strengthen our faith, we've got to get beyond that to what does God have to say about my circumstances. Take care of what you consider. In fact, I love, you know, most people know Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. We've talked, well, I quoted some out of it. Uh, and he goes through the whole, you should read it and, and, and embrace those truths. But Romans 12, or Hebrews 12, it says, Consider Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Listen, you got to be careful what you're considering, what you're pondering in your heart, what you're believing God for or doubting. He did not waver in unbelief. If you don't want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and walk in the footsteps of Abraham, you've got to learn to stand on the promises. You've got to learn to trust God's ability and take care of what you consider, what you ponder, what you meditate on. That's why I talked about, uh, you know, get a grip on your thoughts. Listen, uh, we gotta, we got we to gotta think about what we're thinking about and take a reassessment of what we're letting uh, into our spiritual system by the thought processes of our life. And Abraham had a fight on his hands and he said, I'm not considering uh, the age of my life. I'm not considering the age of my wife. I'm considering what the word of God has said over my life. Amen. And number four, give God all the glory. Look what it says in Romans 4.20. It says this, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Could we say that giving all the glory to God strengthens our faith? That just declaring His promises and declaring His ability and declaring His word and will over our life and honoring Him and trusting Him and giving Him the praise. It brings glory and honor to God and it strengthens our faith. In fact, someone has said that's the language of faith. In fact, Romans 5 said, hey, let me tell you the secret to it. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, glory in your tribulation. Glory in your tribulation? Glory in your tribulation? Are you kidding me? He said, absolutely, knowing that 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 testing, that trial, that problem, look what he says, glorying in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. There we go. There's a faith word. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, Paul, the apostle was saying here in Romans chapter five, hey, listen, God's got your end in mind. Even though you're going through tribulation he's got your greatest uh, 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 he's got your greatest uh, destiny at heart and, and and when you go through a trouble you just ought to give him glory because it's going to produce something positive in your life it unlocks the blessings of God in your life so as we close today understand something about God 
He's desirous of us to take a firm grip on our faith. In fact, did you know the Bible says in Luke, it says when the Son of Man comes again, you know what he's going to be looking for? It says, will he find faith in the earth? He's just looking for faith. When the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith in the earth? Let me ask you this. If Jesus were to show up in your boat today, and he is, would he have to ask you, where's your faith? Or would he be like the one who spoke to Jesus and said, Jesus, I know you're a man under authority and you understand authority and you just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus looked at that man and said, I've not seen such great faith, no, not in all of Israel. A man who understands the power of the spoken word of God into the spiritual atmosphere of life. Let's stand together. Today, God wants to strengthen our faith. Today, God.